Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you once again for the opportunity we have to be together and celebrate. Lord, we're grateful for your death, your burial, your resurrection. We're grateful that you invite us into your gospel. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage today, that you would change our hearts. You would cause us to understand what resurrection living truly looks like. We're grateful for that gift, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. morning. Happy Easter. That's terrible. Happy Easter. (laughs) Nice. There we go. All right, so somebody asked me a few weeks ago, they're like, what passage are you going to preach on for Easter? And everybody's always preaching on the resurrection, and I'm like, did you realize that every single passage after Jesus is risen is a resurrection passage, right? Right? And so... I chose this one because this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I love this story. Part of it 
Um, I started to love early when, way back when, and we lived in California, and I owned a restaurant and catering business, and I'm like, ooh, Jesus was a caterer. I love this. I can relate, right? Because he's constantly cooking things and doing things for people. But then as I kind of really dove into it and started studying it, I realized that what this story truly represents is why the resurrection is so valuable to us. It's so important. So if you were here on Friday and you got to go through kind of the walkthrough of Good Friday, um, the, the point of that was to create a little bit of emotion and tension in regards to what Jesus did as a sacrifice for us. And hopefully you got that opportunity or you at least processed through it a little bit. And it's a hard thing to process through. Then yesterday we have this kind of tension between the moment of Jesus being buried. We know that he's predicted that he's going to rise from the dead. And I can't imagine what Saturday must have been like for anybody that knew Jesus personally. Um, this, this tension between I know the, the promise and I know what's to come, but... I also am burdened and sad because this person that I love and have been devoted to and following around and is gone, right? And how do, we, how do you wrestle with that tension? And then all of a sudden, we, we celebrate today on this Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the dead and everything changes. Everything changes. It's, it becomes a, a huge celebration, but everything changes in the aspect of when people see Jesus, it's a little bit different. When, when Jesus is teaching after the resurrection, it tends to be more focused on, okay, like, very simply, I've kind of done my work here, and now I'm going to commission you guys to get on with the resurrection life. We, as Christ followers, we don't live in light of the cross. We live in light of the resurrection. Which means our Savior is not dead. He currently sits at the right hand of the Father and advocates for us. He continues to draw people to himself. He encourages us, as Christ followers, to live out the life that he's gifted to us for his glory, to return to the purpose that we were created for. And all of that is possible because of the resurrection it's knowing that I mean, if you really process the death of jesus on the cross he took all of that sin all of the sin of all of those who would believe was on jesus at the cross and in that moment scripture literally says he became sin he represented all of that sin all of that weight i mean in a very simplistic way, he became the most sinful being. He, 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 pour, he, he took all of God's wrath for all of that sin all at once. It's intense to think about. And then he conquers sin, Satan, and death by rising from the dead. And he says, look, if I have risen from the dead, then you're also promised in me to rise from the dead. But Jesus says also, I... I haven't come to give you, I'm coming to give you life and give it to you abundantly. It's written in the present tense, meaning as soon as you come to know Jesus and you're reconciled to the Father, you have new life in Christ. And what this passage represents is this new life. Because we're going to look at this individual named Peter who did some regrettable things. 
right? If you know anything about Peter and you've studied scripture at all or you've grown up in church world at all, you know, this was the guy that every time he spoke, it was like he put his foot in his mouth, right? So he reminds me so much of me. It's like he's always asking the wrong question. He's always saying the wrong thing. He's he always seems to be really emotional about what's going on. This is the guy that pulled the sword out of his, his sheath to cut off the, the ear of the, of the high priest's guard as they're coming to arrest Jesus. This is the man who is constantly asking questions that you just go, oh, I can't believe that you're asking this question in that moment. And we also know the story of him denying Jesus. Jesus predicts his denial, right? He says, you're going to do this, and Peter outright response i would never do that to you and then he finds himself in a position where he's denied jesus three times jesus is crucified jesus is buried and i can only imagine it's hard to predict like what is peter going through in that moment like all of the all of the times that he's been spending with jesus he knows the promise but he's he's got to be in this wrestle of I can't believe is this the last time that I'm going to actually see him? Is everything that I chose to believe correct? Is Jesus really going to come back from the dead? Or am I going to regret this for the rest of my life because this was my moment? This is what I promised not to do. And my whole my whole goal here today is to help us understand that we've all been in this scenario. We're typically often in this scenario on a daily basis, at least for me, where I've done something that I regret, I wish I hadn't done it, I may have disappointed somebody or, or irritated somebody or I've said something I wish I hadn't said, and I'm looking at Jesus and going, why did I do that again? And like Peter's going to be reminded here, it's the resurrection that makes the difference. It's the reminder of new life. It's the, the reminder that every morning we wake up in Christ, it's a new day. But that wait, I can only imagine the wait. And then, as Peter's waiting, he hears that Jesus is risen from the dead. And if you know the story, Peter starts to run, but Peter apparently is really slow because John runs right past him, <laughs> right? So Peter's not going to win any races. And he gets there finally, and he's looking at what's going on, and he's overwhelmed. He sees this empty tomb. He comes back. Jesus hasn't revealed himself to him yet. And then I can only imagine the, what is he going to say? This is beginning to challenge everything that you, that I believe about who God is and what Jesus came to do. Because the question really boils down to, is Jesus going to push Peter aside because he denied him? Are the lightning bolts going to come? Is the scary moments of, wow, Jesus came back from the dead, and I have done something horrific. I, I've done, I did a, a comparison once comparing Judas and Peter, and there's some interesting comparisons because they both end up betraying him, but they handle that betrayal a little bit differently. They're both kind of in this, I mean, at this point, Judas has hung himself, but they're both in this, this position of just going, I can't believe what I've done, and then Peter hears Jesus is back, and the interactions that he has with Peter are very short and probably confusing after his resurrection. And then we kind of pick up the story at that point. I, I think the Lord's letting Peter wrestle with it a little bit. 
And then we get to verse chapter 21 in John, and this is what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, so James and John, and, the other, and two others of the disciples were together. So if you can just picture, they're huddled together. They know Jesus is risen. He's appeared to them a couple of times. The Thomas story has already taken place. Jesus is like popping in and out of everywhere, right? Like, it, it's just different. He's, Jesus has said things like, don't touch me, or whatever, and th- we have these moments where, where people have seen Jesus resurrected, and they say, well, we know it was him, even though it doesn't look like him, and I don't understand what any of that means, <laughs> but we know it's different, and they're recognizing Jesus not necessarily by how he looks, but what he's doing, and how he's behaving, and this glory probably that's, that's surrounding him, and the way that he, he's living his life. And Peter is processing all of that, so I picture the disciples sitting around, and Peter's just like, the tension is building, and he finally just goes, I'm going fishing. Like, remember what Peter used to do. He was a fisherman. I mean, I don't know what it is for you, but what's that moment when you're in, like, your greatest tension, and you're like, I just have to go do something that I enjoy doing. I don't care what it is. You know, it might be, I just need to go to the coffee house and get a cup of coffee and sit. Or I need to just go for a run, Right? Or it, it could be anything. But I think Peter's experiencing this moment. I, he hasn't said anything really. We haven't dealt with this. Like, what do I do? I'm going fishing. And so the disciples say they're going to go with him. So if you picture they're out on the lake, they're, they're fishing, they're, they're toiling. In, in essence, Peter's kind of doing what he was doing before he met Jesus, Right? I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I mean, how frustrating would that be? I can only imagine Peter going, I can't even fish anymore, right? Like, I can't do anything right. Like, I've got this, I, 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 this is what I do. And for three years, I've been following Jesus around, and now I can't even fish anymore. Like, what is my life going to be? And I'm, I'm, I'm projecting here because I don't know. I just know that based on Peter's response that's about to happen, all of these emotions have to be building up inside of him. He hasn't caught anything. They've, they've fished all night. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. This is absurd. Right? I mean, for those of you who don't understand what's happening here, a boat is in the middle of the water, about 100 yards out, it says, right? And so if they cast on the left side of the boat, it's the same water that's on the right side of the boat. Are you, are you understanding the absurdity of the request? If I was fishing at that moment, I would be like, this crazy old man thinks there's fish on that side of the boat and not this side of the boat, right? But if, once again, you know any stories in scripture you might know the story about peter's first calling uh can be found in luke chapter 5 amongst other places where where jesus calls peter and jesus comes and he gets in the boat and they row out a little ways and jesus begins to preach to the crowd and peter had spent all that night fishing and hadn't caught anything and then after he was done preaching he said hey go ahead and drop the nets because we're going to catch some stuff and they caught like a record catch where other boats had to come in and grab stuff. And I would imagine in that moment that Peter was like, this is absurd. And Peter's response is he ends up falling on his knees and worshiping Jesus. 
And here, Jesus is going to kind of replay this same kind of story that's going on. Hey, I know you guys have been laboring all night. I know that you're professional fishermen. But what you really need to do is you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. So fish on the other side of the boat, right? They answered him, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll catch some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The nets were so full. Now, I've never fished with nets before. In fact, I get lots of booze for this. I don't even like to fish, okay? But I've never fished with a net, so if you throw the net in, the idea is that it grabs a bunch of fish at once, and then you haul them in. And and, And ultimately, you're trying to catch more than one fish at a time. If you throw a net and only catch one fish, that's bad. Okay, because that's just a line and a hook and a worm. So nets are hard work, and so they throw the nets in on the other side of the boat, and it says that so many fish come into this net that they begin to pull it in, and it's so heavy. In fact, it's such a big deal that they end up numbering the amount of fish here in a minute. There's a lot of fish in the net, so clearly the fish were on the other side of the boat, (laughs) right? They were hanging out over there. It says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter. Now, this is a moment that I think is, is really important for us to understand. So the disciple that Jesus loved is John. We know that because he identifies himself later in the book as the author. And he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. So we know that John is watching, the, he's there, he's watching the same thing that Peter's watching. They've thrown their nets on the other side. Okay, well listen to the crazy guy. Go ahead, why not? We have nothing to lose. Happened once before, let's do it and I've got all these fish. Peter is in this state of, remember, probably feeling sorry for himself. It's interesting that Peter has experienced something like this before, but he's still, he's not the one that recognizes that this is Jesus. It's his buddy that does. It's John. And I go, well, that's interesting because there's so many times I, I can relate to this in my life where I'm not the one that's recognizing that God is moving in such spectacular ways maybe in my life and it requires somebody else to go, are you kidding me? Why are you complaining? Did you, are you understanding what God is doing? You've been there? Like, I don't know why we want to complain all the time, but the Lord has done so many amazing things in the life of every single Christ follower, and it always just seems like we forget, we forget, we forget. We find ourselves in these moments where we're so distraught over the circumstances that are going on that we forget who Jesus is, and many times he'll actually show up in miraculous ways like this. We don't even acknowledge it because we get so lost in our own head and our emotions, right? but he's still working. And I think that's what's so important to understand. God's sovereign. He's gonna move with or without us. There's comfort in that. His goodness towards me, his goodness towards you is not dependent upon you. Thank God, right? He's still working. John recognizes that this is unique. John's probably like, Ding, 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 ding. I've seen this before, right? This happened like three years ago. And I remember this moment, and th- th- this has to be something different. It says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. John recognizes, that's Jesus. And then listen, look at what Peter does. I love this. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and then threw himself into the sea. I love this. 
I hope, there's some weirdness here, I get it, but I hope that the first time I get to see Jesus face to face, this is how I would respond. Like how badly do you long to see him? I've, I, I'm, I geek out on this stuff, I know. But I've, I have such a love for Jesus that I actually dream of this moment. And it's going to be nothing like I expect it to be. Because all of my dreams and all of those things are very humanistic and they're probably geared in like rom-coms, right? <laughs> so I see the slow motion thing happening and then, you know, whatever. But I, I picture this, like, what is it going to be like when I actually get to see Jesus face to face? Like the risen Christ. Like, where I'm there and I'm actually able to speak with him in person. Where I see his eyes. He's looking at me. We're having a, an actual conversation. I hear his voice. I, I see the holes in his hands. I like what what is that going to be like and i me me being me i picture a lot of tears because i'm really emotional right so i picture crying and acting like a fool and probably saying something stupid like peter says but it's i hope that as i've pictured that i hope that i would be the person that when somebody said that's the lord that i would do something weird like put my clothes on and then jump in the water right because you're overwhelmed by emotion. Like, one of the things I get excited about is this idea of Jesus' return, this idea that one day we're going to be face-to-face with him. In fact, Scripture says we're to pray for that. Lord, come back. Every morning I'm like, it's a good day. Like, come back, right? I've challenged our church in the past. Like, one of the ways you know how you truly feel about Jesus is if he were to come back tomorrow, would you be disappointed? Or is he your everything? Or would you be like, ah, I want to have another baby. Or I want to get married. Or first, I have some other things that I want to do. Or I haven't made that deal yet. Like that, it's one of those, like, litmus tests to kind of help us understand where our heart's at. Like, I want this. I want this so bad. I want to be so excited about seeing Jesus that I'm literally willing to jump in the sea. And he's the only one that does this. And it makes sense because it's Peter. Right? Like, I, I don't know, like, we, we've learned about all the other, I, could, I can see Andrew just sitting there, and he's like, well, the boat will get there, and we'll see Jesus. It's fine, right? Peter's like, I can't wait for the boat. Like, you guys take care of this fish, I'm going to see Jesus. It's beautiful. Throws his clothes on, jumps in the ocean. They, we're told that the boat's about 100 yards out. That's a decent swim. And it's a longer swim clothed. So this is that rom-com moment that I'm picturing, right? Where Peter's like swimming with everything he's got and he's hardly getting anywhere and it takes way longer for him to get there than he anticipated, right? And I can only imagine what's going on in his head. I mean, he's every stroke, I mean, I don't know if Peter was a good swimmer or not. I doubt he was Michael Phelps. So he's probably just, you know, he's used to being on a boat, not in the water. So he's swimming, right? And with every stroke, he's like, I'm just trying to get to Jesus. Oh my, what is he gonna say when I get there? What's gonna happen when I hit the shore? All of those emotions would be coming to the forefront of his mind as he's swimming. Think about the moments where you know, like, okay, I've, I've 
had an argument or so, say, with my significant other, and I'm struggling here, and I know that we're going to have a conversation, and I know that it's coming, and I'm on my way home, and I know the conversation that's about to be had, and I'm going through that conversation in my head. Because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, I'm typically going, how am I going to win this argument, right? And most of the time, it's, okay, I, it's not going to be anything like I thought it was going to be, and I'm building myself up, but I'm worried, and what's going to happen, and how are we going to all handle this, and what's it going to be like afterwards, and I can only imagine all those emotions going on, but he's so excited to see Christ that he's just swimming and swimming. It says that in verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Verse 9, when they got out of land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So I, we don't have a, I used to think it's probably possible that Peter ends up on the shore and has a conversation with Jesus before. And I always wondered, like, what was that conversation? But I think I've come to the conclusion that that actually didn't happen. I think Peter was probably so slow. I think that's why scripture says, hey, John ran past him because they want us to know he's very slow. Right? So I think Peter was probably so slow at swimming that it wasn't long that he reached shore. He was probably out of breath. He just swam 100 yards in his clothes. He's emotional. He's got all this thing. I can picture him like he comes up to the, and he's just like grabbing the land, and he's just crying and, and praying or whatever it is that he's doing. He's emotional, and then all of a sudden the boat's like, do-do-do-do-do, and comes up, right? And they all kind of land together. And the reason I think that is because of Peter's response here in a minute. The first thing that Jesus says that we have recorded for him to say once all the disciples are there is they're looking at, okay, Jesus is catering. He's got the fire going. He's got a little bit of fish. He's got some bread for them. You guys have been working all night. I want to make sure that your, your needs are met here because that's what I do. And as I've got this prepared, I know what's happened. I've told you the fish were on the other side of the boat. I know you caught a bunch. Hey, do you have any more fish? Because we can throw some more on the fire because this isn't going to be enough for everybody. And it's Peter's the first one that jumps up and responds. Like, it's the first, like the first thing that Peter says Jesus is, I mean, that Jesus says Peter's going to do. And I understand that from an emotional standpoint. Have you been at odds with someone and you've asked for forgiveness and it's like whatever they ask you to do in this moment, like you're going to do it, right? It's like, uh, okay, I, I'm kind of walking on eggshells. I don't know exactly where we're at. So yeah, I'll do that, right? So is, like, do, do you have any more fish? Bring some of the fish. Look at verse 11. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there was so many, the net was not torn. I don't know if you guys catch this, but hold on a second. Peter moved this net by himself. The net was full, 153 fish. It says it was so full that it, it, it should be breaking, but it hadn't broken. Peter, oh yeah, I'll get the fish. It says that he goes and he hauls this thing out by himself. Now, I don't know what kind of adrenaline is going on in Peter, but when they caught the fish, it took a whole bunch of people to pull it on. Now Peter's pulling it in by himself, and I can only imagine the adrenaline, but I also look at this and go, every single time Jesus asks us to do something, he gives us the power to do it. Every time. Every time. He never asks us to do anything and then doesn't supply what we need to get it done. He's not like, hey, Michael, you know, Angel Michael, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to give this guy a task, and he's going to fail, and we're going to laugh because he can't do it. He's like, watch this, Michael. 
I'm going to give him a task or her a task, and I'm going to give them everything they need to accomplish it, and it's going to be beyond their strength because they're going to have no choice but to give me the glory for it because they know they can't possibly do it. I would imagine that at some point Peter went, did you see what I did? Like, how did I move that fish? I've been in moments of adrenaline. I was in a motorcycle accident once when I was in California, and I, I rode like a huge bike. I could not lift the bike. And after the motorcycle accident, I literally, I, I pulled myself off the pavement and walked over to my bike, and I just picked it right back up. And it wasn't until I was riding home, bloody and a mess, that I was like, wait, I just picked up that bike. How did that happen? There was so much adrenaline in me. I mean, that bike had gone over before, and I had to get two other guys to come help me lift it. But in that moment, I just lifted it. And it wasn't until later that I understood, whoa, that was remarkable. I think Peter's experiencing one of these moments. There's so much emotion going on in Peter. The Lord has just asked him to do something. He's done it, and it's been in, in a more remarkable way. And I'm saying all this so you understand the tension that's going on inside of Peter. There's a lot. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Weird. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, hey, we're going to eat first. That meal must have been awkward. Like, I didn't get my private moment with Jesus, even though I jumped in the water because the boat got there as quickly as I did. I can't believe I jumped in the water. I pulled the fish over. We'd been cooking fish. We'd been talking, doing whatever guys do. And now there's this moment where Jesus has revealed himself to us in a very intimate time on the beach. He's cooked for us. And now we're eating our meal. And I picture the meal being done. Like they've eaten. Bellies are full. Peter's still a little nervous. And in verse 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's such a poignant question and so loaded with so much. So the meal's finished. They're sitting around the campfire. Jesus clears his throat, looks directly at Peter and says, hey, Simon, Peter. And, so, and I think Peter looks up and they catch eyes. And I'm wondering if this is the first time eye contact's been held since that moment that Jesus, that Peter denied Jesus and eye contact was made. And what Peter's going to see is the same love that he saw then. And Peter says, and Jesus says to Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? What are these? I think it's everything. I think it's the moment that they're in. I think it's the fishing that they were doing that night. I think it's his brothers sitting around him. I, I, I think it's it's a reflection of everything that Peter's carrying right now, the burden. Because isn't it true that oftentimes we say we love Jesus, but we carry a burden that we're not supposed to carry? And he's like, why do you love the burden more than me? I mean, I think Jesus is literally going, do you love me more than anything else? Like all these things, like you went back to fishing. Do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than these men? Do you love me more than this? And Peter understands the question. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
I don't, I don't think Peter grasps this yet, but what's so fascinating about what's happening here is Jesus is going to restore Peter, but he's not only going to restore him, he's going to explain to him what resurrection life is going to look like by giving him a job that he'd never given him before. And that's powerful. You're going to feed my lambs. You're going to do something remarkable. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. How many times did Jesus allow Peter to restore himself? Three. It's the most gracious thing I can ever imagine Jesus doing for somebody that has outright denied him. You denied me three times. You're grieving because I'm asking you a third time, but when you realize what I've just done for you, you're going to not grieve, you're going to celebrate. I'm taking everything that was in the past and I'm allowing it to move forward. Why? Because there's new life in Jesus' resurrection. You're not going to be defined any longer and you're not going to define yourself any longer by the denial. You're going to define yourself by the fact that I have work for you to do and you're going to get to do it. And you're going to get to do it in light of Jesus being resurrected. You're going to get to do it in light of the fact that new things are coming. The church is going to get birthed. It's going to be Peter that's going to stand up and give that first message. Where thousands of people hear it and come to Christ and are baptized. Peter, the one that denied Jesus. The one that was completely distraught, emotional, dead. In this moment, Jesus literally takes Peter and he says, I am going to restore you in everything. You are going to be completely different. Three times, three times you denied me. Three times I'm going to let you declare in front of these men that you love me. You denied me to strangers, but in front of your friends, I want you to tell them exactly what, how you feel about me. Who are you truly, Peter? That's the question. Are you a person that's going to live a life in light of my crucifixion where it feels like I'm dead and everything that you've done is just weight and, and poured on you and you're feeling this constant guilt? Or are you going to allow me to change you in light of the resurrection and say there is new hope and there is new life and every single thing that you've ever done and everything you'll do in the future has been paid for on that cross and you are free? Choose, Peter. What life do you want? Are you going to live in light of the crucifixion? Or are you going to live in light of the resurrection? Because you have an option here. I've just given you the opportunity to be completely restored. It's a beautiful thing that's happened here. You'll hear me oftentimes say, Jesus will take you exactly as you are, but he never, ever leaves you that way. Ever. Peter didn't clean himself up. He was a mess. He came out smelling like dirty seawater. And he had just eaten fish. So there's, there's, he's not looking good. Have you ever been to the ocean? Gone into the ocean? Come out of the ocean? You look great, right? You stink. He's had campfires. Smells like smoke. He's been around nasty guys fishing for all night. He didn't clean himself up at all. He didn't deal with his emotions per se. He's not like, oh, I need to get my head right before I can come to Jesus. You know what he did? He just saw Jesus and jumped out of the boat and went. 
Why? Because it's Jesus. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't say, oh, you should have done these things before you came to me. Look at all of this pomp and circumstance that needed to happen. Don't you know who I am? I'm the king of the universe. No, he says, just come. Just come. I will take you exactly as you are, and I will restore you to something new. You won't even recognize yourself afterwards. You're going to look in the mirror, and you're not going to see yourself as much. You're going to see more of me, if you'll let me. It's, it's a beautiful image of why the resurrection is so important. I'm so tired of hearing the church act like it's been defeated. That we're living in, oh, it's so hard. It is hard. In fact, Jesus is going to address the hard here in a second. It's hard. We sin cursed worlds, sin cursed bodies. It's, it's difficult. So much is hard. But we live in light of Jesus' resurrection. In Christ, you've been restored. You have purpose. You're, you, you know your creator. You can talk to him at any second. Jesus continues to restore us. When we blow it, it's still there. He never gives up on us, ever. He never looks at us and goes, oh, I can't, what am I gonna, I've had enough. We do that. Jesus doesn't. He looks at us and he goes, if you just understood what I've done for you, if you would just understand the life that I have for you in light of the resurrection, you wouldn't be worried. You wouldn't be complaining about this. You wouldn't see the circumstance the way that you're seeing it. You would be more forgiving. You would be more loving. You would be filled more with joy. Because you, the reason you're not is because you keep taking burdens on that I haven't asked you to take. That should have died because I rose from the dead. The other reason I love this passage is because Jesus doesn't avoid the hard. You know, if you're new to church world, one of the things that we'll hear sometimes is things like, you know, a life of, in Jesus is such a crutch. Like you're just holding on to something like this that doesn't even make sense so that you can feel strong and you're just so weak. I'm going to tell you right now, I, a life in Jesus is not for the weak. It's hard. It's easy to hate. It's hard to love. It's easy to slander. It's hard to encourage. Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want. And there's this little parenthesis here that John puts in there. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. There's a tradition in church world that says that Peter was crucified in life and that he was actually crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. I don't know if that's true or not. But it does say that his hands are going to be stretched out. So it sounds like he's going through a pretty horrific death. Why did Jesus tell him that in this moment? I mean, it seems weird to say, look, I paid for your sin. You saw that. You denied me. I rose from the dead. You've got all this tension in you, and now I've restored you. And now, real quick, let me tell you how you're going to die. 
Why would he do that? Do you know why he did that? To give Peter consistent hope that he was going to finish the race well. He says, I'm going to tell you how you're going to die, and you're actually going to die for me, Peter. So all those emotions that you're feeling, all that dread, let it go. I'm telling you right now, there's a hard death coming, and you're going you're gonna to grasp it. You're going to have a moment when you have another opportunity to deny me, and it's not going to happen. You're actually going to die for me. In Peter's mind, who was ready to die for Jesus at some point, right? Promises that he would. This is an encouraging moment. Peter, your new life is beginning right now, and you're going to live it so well in me. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. We have those, right? We have moments where Peter and Paul are going at it. Oh, what awesome conversations those are. But Peter, your death is ultimately going to be glorifying to me. You're going to walk the path. You're going to walk this new life. And it's all going to be grounded in the fact that we've had this conversation that you know me, that you know I'm alive, that you know I'm not dead, and therefore you know that you've been restored. And after saying this, he said to him, looking at Peter, I, I think Jesus probably never broke eye contact, but I, I picture this last thing that he says to Peter here, and we could keep going. Peter's going to ask a dumb question because he's Peter. Right? You can read that later. But I think Jesus is looking intently at Peter, and he's looking at his eyes, which weren't blue, right? He's looking at his eyes, and he says, after saying this, he says to him, follow me. Follow me. What, what is Jesus saying? This is the call. There's new life coming, and if you want to experience it, there's one key to this. Follow me. What does that mean? Like, this is the key to everything. Jesus saying, follow me. Jesus has said this so many times in the scriptures, right? Hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. When he called his disciples, he said, follow me. Uh, John the baptizer was like, if you want to know, you're going to have to follow that guy. Jesus led them all over the place. Okay, we're going to go to Samaria. You're going to have to follow me. Here we go. Just follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. If you, wanna, if you truly want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. Jesus wraps up the living a life in the gospel by these two words, and it's the last thing he's going to say to Peter as far as his commission goes. Follow me. Stop worrying about the rest of the world. You just follow me. I've got work for you to do. Just follow me. I've, I've restored you. There's new life. Just follow me. This is the call for the church. It's not to add Jesus to something that we're already doing. It's to say, you become everything. It's why we're constantly calling. If you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to apply the gospel to every area of your life, not just Sunday mornings. Not just Easter, not just Good Friday, not just Christmas. It's, it's every day to say, I am going to follow you. What do you want me to follow you while I'm at work, while I'm at home, when I'm with my spouse, when I'm with my girlfriend? What does that look like? It looks like new life. You know what else? following Jesus looks like, it looks like you're going to blow it and to understand that your life is not to be defined by guilt but forgiveness. That's a resurrection life. The guilty life is a, is a life that's defined by a cross. The resurrection life, the, the joy-filled life is the life that's defined by the resurrection. 
That's following Jesus. It's living every moment in light of the fact that Jesus is alive, not dead. It's living life in every moment, looking at every single circumstance that you're there and going, what would Jesus do? It's so cliche, but so accurate. How would Jesus handle this moment? It's realizing that, man, I don't want to do anything unless the Holy Spirit's really asking me to do it because I refuse to take up a burden that Jesus isn't asking me to take. But we take them anyway. And then what does Jesus say? Put it down. It's a good life. It's hard, but it's good. It's difficult, but it's amazing. There's going to come difficult things. You live in a sin-cursed world, it's hard, but Jesus is alive. That trumps everything. It overwhelms everything else. It's supposed to. So when we find ourselves in those moments of pity, oh, poor is me, right? These moments like Peter, those are okay. God can handle it, but he's not gonna leave you there. He's gonna say, okay, are you done? Like, when you're done, you let me know because I've got something way better for you. Because we're living in light of the resurrection. I think that's ultimately the question. Like, if you have never come to faith in Jesus, if you've never said, well, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I don't know what this is about. I don't know. This is what it's about. It's taking what's broken and making it new. It's taking what's hurting and giving it joy. It's taking what's feeling so guilty and overwhelming and giving it freedom. That's what the gospel is. And it's all because of what Jesus did. His resurrection is what gives us the hope to understand that there is life aside from our own sin and our own depravity. And it can happen now. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that. You can come talk to me afterwards. You can talk to Pastor Matt afterwards. He'll be over here while taking communion. You can come up and talk to him. Or you can turn to the person next to you and go, hey, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, say, can we go get some coffee? I know an awesome place. And let's sit down and have a conversation. But the hope that you're looking for is not going to be found in anything but Jesus because he's the only one that will restore you. And I know the story. I've lived it. You try so many other things thinking that it's going to satisfy and it doesn't. You need to come to Jesus. This message is not obviously just for those who don't know Christ. In fact, I don't know where Peter's at in his salvation at this point. I think obviously he's, he knows who Jesus is and he's seen him risen from the dead so he's going to believe it because he's seeing it. There it is. He's talking to me. Well, ultimately, this is written for the church. Like, what are we doing in light of the resurrection? Like, what, what would it look like if a church actually celebrated the resurrection every day except one Sunday a year? Right? What would that be like? What would it look like if we literally woke up in the morning and went, oh, Jesus is alive. And everything I'm going to go through, yeah, it might be hard, but Jesus is with me and he never abandons me and my job today, I have one job today, one job, you have one thing, do your job, you ready? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Here's the thing, I, I've, I've come to this conclusion in my 48 years of living. I am never wrong when I'm obedient to Jesus. 
It always works out. Typically, my biggest complaints come when I'm like, Jesus is asking me to do this, and I'm like, I don't think so. I'd rather do it this way. I'm never, I'm never, it's always good when I follow Jesus. Always. It always happens that way. I, I don't have to live with the guilt of not following in them, and then he tends to be a little smarter than I am, and things seem to work out. Right? What would it look like if a church actually lived that way? I mean, I'm, I'm, the cross is so important. But in some ways, it's sad that the symbol of Christianity is the cross and not the empty tomb. Like, it's so important. But it, it, it just makes me wonder, like, why are we constantly focused on living in the death and not the resurrection. We, we live in victory. Jesus conquered. There's hard things. There, there, there's things we've got to learn. There's things we've got to do. We, we continue to encourage each other to follow Jesus. But are you living in light of the resurrection? Look at what, look at what Jesus did through Peter. I mean, we know that Peter made some mistakes afterwards, but I think this was the changing moment. We know that Jesus says don't do anything without the Holy Spirit, so we know that's a pretty important changing moment. But I think in Peter's head, this was the moment where he went, I fully grasp the gospel because it was just displayed to me. Like, I, I don't have to have this weight. I don't have to wonder what Jesus is going to do because he never changes. He, he loves me. I can come to him with anything. What would it look like if we lived like that? What would it look like if we treated each other like that? What if we saw other Christ followers in light of the resurrection? What would that look like? You know, you really, you really upset me, but <laughs> Jesus is alive, so let's go. What does it look like to follow Jesus in this moment? I don't, I don't know how this plays out in your life. I don't know everyone in here. I don't know how the gospel's being applied. I do know this. Because you're a human being and I'm a human being, I know that in my life there's areas where I go, man, I have done a poor job of applying the gospel in that area of my life. And the question is, where are you not applying it? Where are you attempting to do it on your own? Where are you living in light of death instead of resurrection? Where have you given up? Where do you believe there's no hope? Who have you given up on? Have you given up maybe, have you given up on yourself? That's not gospel. Like, what is it that the Holy Spirit's saying to you right now and saying, you know what, you could leave here today just like Peter left this conversation with Jesus going, yeah, my life isn't perfect, but I'm going to choose to follow Jesus and live in light of the resurrection. I don't have to be giddy, but you, you, you should be. The church should be the most joyful people on the planet. But are we doing it? We celebrate this. Like, what I don't want to do in here today is to go, oh my gosh, this is heavy and I have to do it. Do you understand the privilege that this is? I don't understand to say, hey, Look, we have the ability to live life in the gospel and everything that we do and live in light of the resurrection and then we somehow take that as, oh my goodness, this is so, 
Like, why is that? This is a privilege. This is something that we should be celebrating. This is why we celebrate it. You don't have to live in light of death. You live in light of life. (laughs) You live in light of the resurrection. That's a privilege. Let go of the junk and follow Jesus. That's what this is all about. That's what Peter does. And look what happens. What's waiting for you if you'll live in light of the resurrection? Don't miss it. Jesus has opened that door. It's it's not about coming to church. It's not about doing something religious. It's about following Jesus. Follow Jesus. All those other things are important, but follow Jesus. So we're going to do something religious here, right? Where we have prepared communion for you guys, and it's up here. So I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and while we're singing, um, you have the opportunity to take communion in this component of celebration. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to tell you how to feel, because that's weird. But what I will say is this. If the Holy Spirit's doing something in you, and you know something needs to change, or you're, he's, he's revealed to you, like, here's an area of my life where the gospel isn't being applied, then repent and celebrate. But communion isn't always intended just to be this memorial service where we're crying and it's overwhelming. It's supposed to also be a celebration. It's the reminder that as we partake in this, we remember his death and burial, but we also remember his resurrection. So communion can be a celebration, and it should be, regardless of what you're experiencing or feeling right now. Celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. But don't neglect to make the changes that are being asked. So like I said, Pastor Matt will be over here if you need to pray with someone. You, this is your time. And then we'll close by singing a few songs together and, and praising Jesus for who he is and what he's done. But I would be remiss if I didn't encourage you. You know, it, it's one thing to hear the scriptures. It's one thing to come to church. It's one thing to hang out. But it's another thing to say, wow, this is powerful and something is supposed to change in me as a result of coming to contact with what Jesus said. If this wasn't meant for us, it wouldn't have been written down. It wasn't just about him and Peter. It's about you and him. Make it personal. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I'm grateful for the fact that you didn't stay in the grave. Lord, we we lament that. We know that it's sad to think that you had to do that, but we're grateful that you did. But, Lord, even more importantly, even though you you bore all that sin, Lord, you conquered it. Sin is conquerable in you. Lord, we don't have to live a life in darkness. So right now, I just pray for any person in this room who has never given their life to you, has never experienced the hope of Jesus, Lord, that you would regenerate their heart, Lord, that you would give them the ability to believe that they would choose you. Lord, I pray you'd give them the boldness and the courage to make a decision that will, that will change their life. And Lord, we pray for your church. 
We pray that this little church in East Boston would be defined by the resurrection of Jesus. That we would commune in light of that resurrection. That we would love and serve in light of that resurrection. That we'd be reminded on a daily basis that our job is to follow you. So Lord, give us that grace. Reveal to us where the gospel isn't being applied. Break our hearts where it needs to be broken. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, lastly, we thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for that hope. Lord, we thank you for new life. And may our hearts celebrate that with everything that's in us for your glory and nothing more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.